1: Tonight on Fast, we go right to the core of the market. Apple breaking out. Investors giving the company a big shout-out as Apple looks to bust out building more iPhones. We'll lay out how to trade it. Plus, big oil springing a leak. The once-hot sector cooling off. But if you still love the group, have no fear. We've spotted something in the options market that could point to a big breakout. One of those big names. And then pot not hot. Cannabis shares down, even as Congress talks up legalizing it. Team Seymour is here to break down all the action in the cannabis sector. Well, welcome, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. In for Melissa tonight. Thanks for joining us anyway. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Well, there is so much to do, so let's start doing it and get right to it. Hit the macro markets and your money. Another good day as the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ all rose. Not big, but when you're on records and you go up a little bit, it's a new record. It was a story of continued momentum and maybe a little mini Jay Powell pop if you will, because the Fed chair testifying on Capitol Hill, he mostly of course got questions that lined up by political party, but on the side that you care about, Powell trying to keep everybody calm on inflation, but in reality, is everything is under the surface smooth? As it may seem tonight, Guy Adami, what do you think?
2: Hello, Brian, and I don't think things are nearly as smooth as they say. It's like, what is that thing when a duck swims, it looks so casual, but below the surface of wheels, their legs are going a mile a minute. That's what's happening here. And, you know, Dan will correctly say, and Kathy Wood was just on talking about the fact that she's worried about deflation. Steve Grosso brings it up, and, you know, maybe that is, you can make a case for it. What I'll tell you is... And I'll say it for the hundredth time, technology is the biggest deflationary force in history. And we are at a point now that we've never seen before in our history in terms of technology. But you have inflation in all the wrong places. And the Fed is trying to fight this two-tiered battle. And almost by definition, they're not going to win. Right now, the market's bailing them out. My my concern is, how long does that last?
1: Well, Tim, is the market bailing them out? Or is the market, kind of to Guy's other point, Just getting in line with the deflation story, right? I mean, companies can't find workers. You know what they're doing? They're developing robots to flip burgers. To Kathy Wood's point in closing bell, once you do that, you never go back to the people. I mean, it appears the market is rewarding the Apples, the Amazons, the ones that have disrupted everything and have really made us kind of deflationary in in many ways.
3: Well, we've seen this analog multiple times, Brian. Where, where, when we've had these moments where we've been concerned about growth, and it is with great irony uh, as we go back to work and as we face these inflationary pressures and as we overshoot on demand. And and let's be clear, this is a demand story, and it's it's a case where I think a lot of the the inflationary dynamics are because supply side hasn't really caught up or decided to go back to work, or but the services side of it, we talked about I think multiple times here. Uh, I, I do think that we've seen this before when when you have. Have a, a question of the sustainability of growth what what outperforms mega cap tech and and the reason you know again the technical factors for the market are we, we know the numbers we know that this is you know 25 to 30 percent of the S&P uh, you know you know close to 70 you know, percent really of the Nasdaq 100 when you weave in a handful more stocks um, and so the weight uh, of the defensiveness of this the great irony is that the market goes higher but the pain in industrial small caps uh, what we've even started to see some erosion in some of the energy trade, but places where people felt growth was underpinning very good fundamentals. You know, that's the that's the off we've had now for probably a month, but certainly since that Fed meeting.
1: Well, you know, Dan, you got name checked earlier in the program anyway. I mean, follow up on Guy's point. And also, here's what's a little confusing. We talked so long about this rotation out of tech into industrials into cyclicals and small caps now to tim's point and what the market is doing it appears or what do you call that a a re-rotation a 360 trade
4: yeah, it's a rotation, though, out of a lot of the growth names in tech that worked very well from the May lows. Just take a look at Zoom's chart. I think up until about a week and a half ago, the stock had rallied nearly 50 percent from its mid-May lows. That thing had a very steep um, incline. If you look at it, it just broke that, um, that uh, uptrend that had been in place, like I said. Since mid-May, um, below its 200-day moving average, not great action. But you know, when you talk about the S&P 500 at all-time highs here, really today it's all about Apple right up two and a quarter percent or something like that that is kind of keeping that in the green there but there's a lot of bad action under the hood tim just mentioned it if you look at the equal weight s&p the rsp um you know you see that that is not a confirmed a new high in the s&p 500 market cap weight since may 10th that's not great action there and i'll just mention put all this together here this rush into mega cap tech that's at all-time highs these five names the f mega complex nearly eight trillion dollars in market cap tim just told you the weights in the S&P 500, nearly 25%. Um, you know, I see money coming out of, I see no shortage of SPACs underneath 10 bucks. I see high valuation tech getting hit now over the last um, week and a half or so. I see crypto that can't catch um, a bid. So I see a lot of pretty speculative assets trade very poorly. And then lastly, just look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. I know a lot of people were very quick to say that was it last week at one and a quarter or whatever it was, there's 200-day moving average. I think if we are contending with that uptrend and breaking that 200 day average and uh, moving average sometime in the very near future, um, the market, the stock market in particular, is going to have a lot of problems. We're going to have a very sharp correction, I suspect, in the next Mm. few weeks.
1: Well, we'll talk to Paul McCulley about that in just a minute. But, Karen, chime in on everything you just heard. Do you think we do that that re-rotation? Are we rotating back into technology, assuming we ever rotated out of it?
5: Right, I don't know that we ever fully rotated out of it, or, or I didn't anyway. But or for for the f maga names, as as uh, Dan likes to call them, I, I do think though that you know at, sometimes you have a Fed where it's sort of a Goldilocks scenario. I feel like we're potentially entering a not gold, uh, whatever the anti Goldilocks scenario is. So that if Powell, you know, was very dovish, it seemed today. Um, does that, you know, that sort of makes me wonder, all right, is, is the reopening trade not as robust? Is it, are they seeing some any sti- signs of stalling there? So I, I was kind of confused by the whole thing, I guess, because, uh, you know, you had this very hot number, and then it's fine if you, you know, pull out the used car sales or car sales or whatever. I never have quite understood how they decide on what makes inflation, what goes into it. It seems to be all the things that don't go up and all the things <laughs> that do go up, they don't really like to, you know, those don't get factored in. So uh, it's sort of a lot of mixed messages out there. I am never good at rotating in or out of, you know, growth versus value. I just kind of own what I like. The one thing I did do today, I did sell a little bit of Facebook, this whole F Maga trade. It's made that position sort of grow, and I'm, I'm a tiny bit concerned about the Apple privacy issues. They're really potentially hurting their business, although nothing, they've been, in, you know, Teflon for years. So I'm confused, yeah, I thoroughly. Mean,
1: It's I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of being confused right now, Karen. I think you make a lot of great points, certainly. I mean, yeah, used car price is the biggest spike ever. Adjusting all the numbers and people looking at that guy, Dominic, going, well, how do I really – everyone knows everything they buy costs more. The simple question is, how long will that last? But going back to what we own, what we should own, the technology stocks, does a 20 basis point rise in the 10-year note mean we should dump
2: Google, dump Amazon,
1: assuming that occurs?
2: No, I don't think so, and I think, I think you would agree with that as well. I, I think certain stocks are impervious, to Karen's uh, word before, or Teflon to interest rate moves, and I think it is the names that Dan coined a while back. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't think interest rates have anything to do with Google's success, Facebook's success, even Apple and Amazon. To a large extent. I do think they're high-valuation names that will fall under the auspices of that. Uh, and NVIDIA, for example, if rates were to go significantly higher, Maybe that takes some of the air out of that ball. But in terms of those, the the four or five horsemen that have got us to this point, I don't think interest rates have any bearing on them whatsoever.
1: All right, let's move on and expand the conversation. A good discussion there on technology, which, with the exception of NVIDIA, you saw has remained pretty doggone hot and get more on inflation, on the economy, maybe bond yields. And the Fed Chair Powell's testimony today joining us, one of our friends, and that is Paul McCulley. Stanton, Virginia's own former PIMCO chief economist, senior fellow now at Cornell University. Paul, perfect day to have you on because, you know, all all the stuff Karen just said she was confused by. You're probably not. Explain to us how we should view inflation because you know what? Used car prices are soaring.
0: Do I need to worry about that in three months or what's the real inflation worry? I think that Chair Powell did a great job explaining the dynamics today in that we've got a unique experience of reopening the economy after a medically induced coma, and the demand side is coming on much faster and much stronger than the supply side. That is what's going on. The demand side is stronger than horseradish, and the supply side has got to catch up. And what Jay was communicating today is he believes in a dynamic US economy and that the supply side will adjust in part related to the huge profit opportunities associated with the elevated pricing and this will sort itself out. Therefore, he looks at the inflationary pressures as temporary and he believes that firmly. At the same time, he's also humble in that there are a lot of things that we don't know about this economy post pandemic. So he has a base case scenario, and then he is in risk management mode. And the most interesting thing he said today to me is this is going to be transitory one way or the other, either organically because the supply side adjusts uh, in a nice, efficient way, or six months out or so, they'll have to lean against the demand side of the economy. So it's going to be transitory. It's just a matter of whether or not it's going to be the easy way or the hard way. Well, everything's transitory. It's like Stephen Wright once said, the comedian.
1: Everything's within walking distance if you have the time. But, I mean, this is a dangerous game in a way that Powell is playing, Paul, because, and by the way, your condiment puns need work. They don't cut the mustard. Let's talk about this. You watch the Tour de France. I watch it almost every day, by the way, NBC Sports. And there's always this guy that goes for a breakaway. And he's pedaling his heart out. And inevitably, the pack catches up to him. But occasionally, they don't. And Powell's kind of playing that game. He's assuming that that guy that breaks out is inflation, but eventually that, that guy's gonna burn out and the pack, if you will, will catch up. That's the transitory nature. But what happens if it
0: doesn't? Does the Fed have to react strongly? I think it will need to react in that scenario, but I would take issue with the, uh, the notion of strongly. We're at incredibly low interest rates, incredibly high valuations for all assets. Put differently, we have incredibly easy financial conditions. So for the real economy, he can lean against financial conditions and Wall Street will cry pain. But the economy is fundamentally very strong and not as sensitive now in a post-COVID world to the financial markets as it was prior because we have fiscal policy supporting the economy now. So I think it's risk management. I think it's prudent. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we have to be cautious about the risk here uh, going forward uh, in the financial markets. Because it's not as clean as
3: Thank you for joining us. And, you know, I, I think what you're saying is the financial markets and Powell would like the financial markets to fully discount uh, tapering before we actually get there. And I, I think you noted, uh, unlike 2013, it seems to me, however, that despite acting somewhat hawkish, uh, you know, a month ago at, at the Fed meeting, that he's actually done everything he could to backtrack off of that stance that I thought was getting us to that guidance. Can you can you you know analyze that?
1: You know, Tim, I think we lost Paul for a second there. So I'm not going to answer your question as well. Maybe Karen or Dan could jump in. We're (laughs) We're waiting to get Paul McCulley back. Certainly when we have him, you can re-ask it. Or maybe he can hear us and we can't hear him. Uh, Who knows, Karen? I mean, I think that's the big bet that we're all placing right now. When I say we, I mean market investors. What's the Fed going to do longer term if inflation does not cool off? Is there a taper tantrum? Is there a rapid rise in 10-year yields based on Dan's charts And if so, what does that do to technology, which, as we know, loves low rates?
5: Is that to me? Yes. Uh, So just to pick up on your cyclist analogy, maybe the guy who sprints out to the head of the pack is doping and he's got the ability to stay there. It's not natural, but (laughs) maybe that that exists just to further the analogy. But I think I break it down tech into two parts. I think of. The Google, the value, you know, the F Maga complex uh, is much more value than the, you know, with the IGV stocks, the Zoom, the CrowdStrike, the Salesforce, you know, Palantir, um, Snowflake, those kind of names. So I think those are far more sensitive to rates. Yep. So I'm more comfortable sticking with the F Maga.
1: Well, maybe the doping is just artificially low rates for a long time. Sven Henrik and others might argue that. Tim, we got Paul back. I don't know if he asked, heard your question, so why don't you just re-ask it again?
3: I will tee it up again, Paul. And, and, and so I, I think your view is that Powell wants to guide financial markets, which you're talking about. That's you know where the concern is, that, that on tapering well before he actually has to do it. Uh, And this would be unlike what happened in 2013. I I feel like Powell actually went out there and was hawkish on the Fed meeting a month ago and has done everything he can to reverse off of that stance. Why, Why is he trying to sound more dovish, it seems to me, after establishing the beginning of that trend you're looking for?
0: I think he's established they're going to be tapering by the end of this year. And they'll be making the announcement, you know, probably at Jackson Hole or sometime around that time, uh and then they will start it in the first part of the year i think he wants the exact opposite of what happened in 2013 because he was kind of on the wrong side of that trade and he wants the market to have fully discounted tapering before it starts and i think he started that process with the last fomc meeting uh and the market has been incredibly friendly since then uh so he wants tapering when it happens to be a non-event If he wanted to lean against this economy, uh, it wouldn't be with respect to tapering. It would be uh, raising more questions, if you will, about the transitory inflation thesis. And he categorically was not doing that. So I separate the whole issue of tapering, which I think he's got a great handle on. And the market has fully discounted. It's going to happen six months or so from now. And the real issue is on the inflation side of things. Uh, So I I think you need to look at them in in two different uh, 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 ways. I think it's well said, Paul, and we'll leave it there. I think
1: that Chairman Powell wants to be the most boring man in the room. And with regards to a Fed chair, maybe (laughs) that's a good thing. Boring, but important. Paul McCulley, always a pleasure, our friend. Thank you very much. You know, Dan, let's, let's trade this. Listen, I think Paul brings up a good point. 2013, let's not forget what happened. Ben Bernanke just basically came out and said, we're going to start cutting our bond purchases. That caused the taper tantrum that our long-term viewers remember very well. The stock market didn't react a lot, but bond yields did. I think to Paul's point, tell us if you agree or disagree, uh, he is trying to beat us over the head so much with this that when it finally occurs, no one's even going to blink. Can he pull that off?
4: Well, I think what Tim was trying to get at was that the, the Fed chair has been clear as mud, if you will, over the last couple of months here. It, it hasn't actually been that clear that they are going to taper in Q4, and it's not clear to me that that's at all discounted. Now, you could say um, if that was the case, then, then maybe rates are where they should be if it's discounted. Um, but I, I, I go back to you know when we started tapering in 14 or 15 or whatever, it just took a long time for those numbers to come down dramatically. And it came a long time um, that we got off of ZERP. So um, I think there's going to continue to be. Fits and starts here. I will just say this: the fear that you know this this uh, medically induced coma, as as Paul just mentioned, that we had over the last year. The fact that we think that there's just going to be these inherent um, inflation that's just going to stick, and so I just don't understand where in the last 20 years that there's any evidence that that's going to happen. And I go back to what Guy started out saying by the deflationary factors um, that that have been in play because of technology, so seeping into every industry. So I just suspect. That in a year or so, we're going to have these supply constraints and these bottlenecks, as Jay Powell calls them, fixed, and we're going to get back to worrying about inflation not being high enough. Well,
1: we'll see. Listen, lumber did that spike and now is down year to date. I mean, maybe the chairman is relying on other things like used car prices doing the same thing. All right, let's move on. We have got a big interview coming your way tomorrow on CNBC. Do not miss the exclusive sit down with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's a big one right here on CNBC. All right, on deck on Fast Money, a deep dive into one of, if not the most important stocks in the world. Apple hitting another all-time high, but is making more iPhones really the key to making you more money? Plus, big banks doing some very different things today. Wells Fargo popping on a higher profit, but Bank of America, a bit of a bust. So up next, where you could still make some dough from the bank stock All right, welcome or welcome back, and let's get back to Apple. Because, like McDonald's says, investors have been loving it lately. Shares at new records. The company looking to boost iPhone production. Let's get right now to Josh Lipton with more on what Apple plans to do. Josh.
7: Brian, so when is that new iPhone coming? Well, we don't know for sure just yet, though the team at Wedbush bets that the iPhone 13 launch is going to come in the third week of September this year. Bloomberg now reporting that Apple is asking its suppliers to ramp up production of those next-generation iPhones by 20%, apparently looking for as many as 90 million units. Apple, higher in today's trade, as were some of its suppliers, by the way. For example, Piper's Harsh Kumar covers Skyworks. He says this report is very good news for them. In peak quarters, Harsh says Apple can represent more than 65% of Skyworks total revenues. Qualcomm, another important supplier to mention. I spoke to an analyst who covers that name too. He estimates Qualcomm gets about $38 for each iPhone sold. That's a combination of chipsets and licensing Makes sense that Tim Cook would ask for more units to get built right now. After all, given this uncertain environment with ongoing chip shortages and constraints, why not lock in iPhone supply now and then, if need be, scale back if warranted in the months ahead? Brian, back to you.
1: All right, Josh Lipton with some big news there on Apple. Josh, thank you very much. Let's go around the horn now and trade this guy, Adami, uh, more iPhones, new iPhones. I mean, is that, is that alone going to move the stock or is Apple just going to keep going up because – there are more buyers than sellers.
2: Well, I always t- relish the opportunity to speak about Apple. But, you know, obviously the trade have been long <laughs> Apple. But there are other trades as well. And you mentioned sort of the trickle down. I look at a name like Broadcom, for example, or AVGO, as it's called now, Vago, in terms of their investor meeting with Bernstein next week. They're coming off a ridiculous second quarter in early June. Valuation at 16 times next year's number. But which was a high back in February, this stock breaks out to a new range. I think despite the fact that it sold off today, Broadcom is the way I would play this. I saw what you did there, by the way, Guy Domi. You're just
1: hot-dogging it now at this point here. All right, Tim Seymour, Tim Apple. Let's talk about Apple. More iPhones. I mean, what else can we say about it? 33 buys, no holds, or still two lonely old sells on Apple stock at this point, I mean, <laughs> is there something about Apple we can say that we have not said already?
3: Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to reinvent the, the, the analysis here. I, I'm just going to point out that this is a stock that's actually underperformed the S&P by 700 basis points this year. And I know it seems uh, after a 21% move in 28 trading sessions that, and, and an RSI, by the way, so a relative strength indicator, this stock is overbought. Um, but if you look at a two-year chart, it, it really looks like it just wants to break out off of that blow-off top it made last year, and, it, and it's it's begun to do that. It's certainly through that. Um, I, I think it's all what the multiple it comes down to. This, uh, if you listen to J.P. Morgan, who also put. Uh, I think a bid in the stock today with an upgrade, put it on their their analyst focus list, and and say it should be a 30 times multiple, and they're around 570 a share. So I think that gets them up to you know around 175, 180 on the stock. Um, Services growth is really the story. Uh, Part of the other story that I think people are talking about lately is also an upgrade in Mac shipments being you know significantly higher, and then this payment plan dynamic that could make iPhone sales even stronger.
1: A good point on the Macs there. Everybody working from home, looking to upgrade their devices. Good conversation there. And Apple waiting on that new iPhone. All right. There is so much left to do on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
0: Talk about withdrawals. Big banks heading south as more earnings roll in. So how should you fare the financials? Plus, the cannabis craze continues as lawmakers pave the way to legalization. Should you puff puff pass on this trade? Or will the pot stocks head higher? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
1: All right, Welcome back to Fast. We've got some breaking news on both AIG and Blackstone. They are in a tie-up, and both stocks on the move higher right now. Let's get more details with Christina Parts and Christina.
5: Thank you. So this is a multi-billion dollar deal for private equity firm Blackstone to acquire roughly a 9.9% equity stake in AIG's life and retirement business. And it also gives Blackstone a major foothold into the life insurance industry. Blackstone
8: will enter into a long-term agreement to manage an initial $50 billion
5: in assets. Also announced in the deal, Blackstone's non-traded real estate investment trust also struck the option to buy $5.1 billion of U.S. affordable housing assets that AIG has held on its book for actually decades, but said uh, that it's not core to its operation. So this is the news that's coming out just within the last hour. AIG stock, as we saw, uh, rallied about 6 percent and shares of Blackstone up just uh, above 3 percent in aftermarket trading. Back to you, Brian.
1: All right, Christina, thank you very much. Might have some headlines there for Worldwide Exchange Guy, Adami, 5 a.m. Eastern Time. That aside, your take on this and
2: both moves in those stocks. Might be an RBI for you tomorrow, Brian. Who knows? I mean, you know, not that I'm trying to produce your great show that does air at 5 a.m. We've been pretty bullish in Blackstone for quite some time. Christina mentioned it gives them a foothold. It also gives them potentially $95 billion to manage over the next six years or so. And this just gets them into one more vertical. They are dominating uh, the financial space, not the bank space as Dan pointed out to me a couple weeks ago, but just in terms of financials that fall under the radar screen or don't get on the radar screen, this move now in the after hours puts it at a new all-time high. They report, I believe, on the 22nd. People will knock them on valuation. They're making a mistake. Blackstone is inserting themselves into all the profitable business right now, now a foothold in the insurance business as well. Good for them.
1: All right, there you go, Guy.
2: I'm blowing you
1: kisses from here, by the way, Guy. Thank you. All right one up one down that is pretty much the 10 second headline of the two bank earnings today bank of america bit of a bust stock down two and a half percent warning low rates putting pressure on revenue but on the flip side you got wells fargo nice intraday move higher though kind of mostly on news of a potential big add to its 18 billion dollar buyback you got morgan stanley out tomorrow. Karen your long wells, your long Bank of america your long morgan stanley they 're similar but very different. Your take on what you heard today and what you want to hear tomorrow
5: yeah and i 'm long city and i 'm long j p morgan by the way i got to say kudos to guy he 's been on the Blackstone thing for i don 't know sixty seventy points maybe more, so that that 's been the great way to play it but. To me i guess you know the wells fargo thing uh the bar was sort of lower for them in some ways and so the buyback was was very good um i think bank america was a little disappointing i think what they're all facing is all the ceos seem to be very optimistic about the economy about the reopening of the economy and optimistic about loan growth however it hasn't happened yet and while they've been waiting net interest margins have actually gotten even a little tighter and they've had a lot of deposits. So they have, they might have more net interest income because their balance sheets are bigger, but the net interest margins are actually somewhat under pressure. And that's what bank investors focus on. I focus on that as well. But I mean, it was sort of a eh quarter. It wasn't wasn't great for Bank of America. Similar refrain from a lot of them about, you know, uh, trading revenues weren't as robust, but investment banking revenues were fantastic. Um, And Citi, uh, the one thing disappointing today was their talk about investing more so expenses going up. But I'm really, you know, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. If they're finding good things to spend money on, they should. Mike Mayo on the call was trying to convince them to spend money on buybacks because that is the single best thing they can do. They hear you. they, They are buying back. But they can and they will, which we all know. So I don't know. I'm sort the of Fed a mixed bag the of, Blah, yeah. we need some loan growth.
1: Well, look at Wells Fargo. If every, if the other CEOs sit and look at Wells Fargo, popping 4% intraday on numbers, to your point. But the buyback, oh, that's nice. Stock goes up. Maybe more. We'll do it, Dan. On the banking side, you, you showed your, your 10-year chart. Maybe want to bring that back up with the trend line that you drew. Uh, is the bank stock trade kind of as simple as just watching that 10-year chart.
4: Well, I don't think it's that simple. I think the one thing that Karen also didn't mention is that there's going to be some very difficult comparisons, and we also have a lot of uncertainty about the reopening. We also know that, you know, while the consumer and their balance sheet are in very good shape right now, we're going to see a lot of, um, you know, expanded unemployment and stuff roll off in the not-so-distant future. So Karen said they're, they're optimistic, these CEOs, about loan growth, but it hasn't happened yet. And I just make one point about Citigroup. I mean, that stock trades horribly, you know? I mean, like, and, and Bank America, too. I mean, but, you know, Citigroup's down 15% from those recent highs. It's only up 10% on the year. I think investors were pretty unexcited about both Citigroup and Bank America, what they had to say about their capital return plan. So um, to me, it just doesn't seem like a great, um, like, spot to step in on these groups until we get a little more clarity and then also until we see what is this market made of right you, we started the show talking about all these different rotations and, and bank uh, investors loved when rates were going higher but now with rates down here and they're likely to stay down here for the best of the, the rest of the summer i'm just not sure that's to answer your question yeah. what the opportunity is here in the near term
1: well, now you got to do some work, right? Because it was just, oh, rates are going to go up by the bank stocks. Well, now it's not the case. You got to dig in because they are different. All right, good discussion. On deck, Peter Tosh said to legalize. And now Congress getting on board. Maybe. So why are so many pot stocks down today? We'll talk about it. And make sure to stretch for this call. We are running into a fitness name and how to trade it. There's a lot more left to do on Fast. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Well, certainly a rough day for many cannabis investors, a a bit of a burnout, even though Senate Democrats unveiled a new plan for federal legalization of pot. The question is, you can propose it, but do you have the votes? Alon Moy joining us now with more on that. Alon.
8: Well, that's right, Brian. Top Senate Democrats are rolling out a federal proposal to make marijuana legal at the federal level, but then tax it. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is spearheading this effort along with the Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden, and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. This bill would remove cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act, clearing the way for the industry to get full access to the nation's banking and financial system. It also establishes 21 as a legal age to buy marijuana. Now, already, Canopy Growth CEO David Klein is getting behind this effort. In a statement, he said that his company is thrilled to support this important legislation. We're ready to work with congressional leadership to establish a thriving and safe well-regulated adult-use cannabis market in the U.S. But this proposal could bring additional costs for companies because Democrats want to impose an excise tax on the industry. It would be 10% in year one, then climb to 25% by year five. And after that, the tax would be calculated based on weight and on concentration. Now, Democrats say this new revenue is critical to reinvesting in disadvantaged communities.
0: I will lay myself down to do everything I can to stop an easy banking bill that's going to allow all these corporations to make a lot more money off of this, as opposed to focusing on the restorative justice aspect.
8: Now, Schumer wants to get comments in his proposal by September 1st. And Brian, his goal is to pass it next year by 420. Back over to you.
1: 420, maybe not a random act on the calendar. Elon, thank you very much. All right, let's trade this, Tim. I mean, a lot is going to come down to this federal legalization. A lot of it comes down to banking laws in states. And a lot of it comes down to just Senate votes. Obviously a tougher day today, but one day does not a trend make. Your take on all of it.
3: Let's talk price action in a second, but first on this bill. The, the fact that this bill is put forth and, it, and it's, it's very comprehensive, it's too comprehensive, and it's not going to get passed in this form. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's part of maybe some disappointment, although I don't think there was any expectation that Chuck Schumer was going to do anything different. And it is a complex issue. And, and I think this news has been expected. Um, but the fact that full legalization, descheduling, uh, and, and the beginning to to regulate the industry and on a federal level, allow the companies to have access to capital markets and listings and, and, and remove punitive taxation um, for for these companies is is a great, great moment. And it's an exciting time to be investing in the sector. Investing for these headlines, I don't think is what investors should be focused on. And I think if you think about the shorter term off of this bill, though, is is this is too broad. Uh, What will have to happen is it will be narrowed down to what I think uh, the points they can get on the board, so to speak, in terms of victories. I think they're actually going to have some expanded banking and and access for capital markets. Uh, And I do think that there will be uh, focus on the social issues. And it's very clear uh, Senator Schumer wants that. And I think it's very important. I think the war on drugs in America uh, has been mis- misaligned and possibly the focus has been in the wrong places in some cases or on the wrong, the wrong demographic groups. But, but look, for investors, cannabis has yeah. still been a great trade this year. Um, some of the price action, I also just think is a lot of these names had rallied 20% off of that uh, into today's news, 20, 30%. Uh, but again, the sector is still having a very, very strong year and the long-term uh, you know, this bill tells you just how exciting the opportunity is.
1: Yeah, Tilray up 81% this year, and Senator Booker saying, you know what, let's take some of the profit out of the banks, put it back in the communities that got hit hardest by the war on drugs, which, by the way, we're now talking about legalizing while people, hundreds of thousands or millions, still sit in jail for dr- laws that may not even be on the yep. books anymore. All right, coming up, yep. switching gears, get your yoga pants on, make sure you got some water. We're going to stretch into a fitness call, Lululemon. But is that the best stock in the space? Plus, oil losing some energy today. We're going to fuel up on that trade. What happened to crude? What happened to stocks? And where it goes longer term.
0: Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast.
1: All right, check out this headline, which seems like it's not possible, but it's true. General Motors issuing a warning about an hour ago for some of its Bolt electric cars, saying Guyadami that owners should not leave their electric vehicle charging unattended overnight, which is pretty much when you charge them, or park the car inside. So GM effectively saying if you own a Bolt, if you're one of the 15 people that bought one, you should stand outside all night and safeguard your car while you charge. I mean, come on!
2: <laughs> or maybe go the Ben Franklin route and tie a kite to it with a little key at the end. I mean, that worked, seemingly worked a couple hundred years ago. Maybe it works again now. Th- listen, it's not a reason to sell the stock, which is what we're getting to here. I mean, we can wax poetic about how ridiculous that is. But, you know, Tim has talked about this, as has Karen. I mean, this comes down to evaluation play GM reports, I believe, on August 4th, just put a 10 multiple on the $7 they're going to earn. And you're talking about a stock that should be trading 70 bucks, which, by the way, in early June, looked like it was making a beeline towards. It's obviously pulled back from about 64 to current levels. I think you buy GM on any weaknesses this headline provides.
1: And by the way, we know Bolt guy is not material to GM. Like I said, about 20 people bought the car. Gasoline, I'm also told, is flammable. But it kind of goes to just the confidence in the development of some of these EVs. Or do you think the Bolt is old enough and pretty much gone enough that no one's going to care?
2: Zep, if that's back at me, I think the answer is the the latter, not the former. I mean, they've made tremendous strides, they being General Motors, into this EV space that they're finally being given credit for. I think it's going to manifest itself with the stock taking the next leg higher. You know, again, Tim and Karen have talked about it. I've been talking about it now for the last few months as well. I I think GM and Ford, by the way, are both mispriced given current market conditions. Likes them both. And if GM can get over the
1: Pontiac Aztec, remember that? If they can get through that, they can get through anything. All right, from cars to clothes. As Goldman Sachs sends lots of good vibes, Lululemon's way, calling it a top pick. Karen, Goldman also throwing some love on Yeti and Contour brands, which... I wasn't aware, but is the parent company of Wrangler and Lee Jeans. But what do you make about this Lulu call?
5: So the Lulu call, the broad retail call, of which they like Lulu, I think maybe the best or one of the best, is about brand, channel, and margin. And and Lulu obviously has a spectacular brand. During the pandemic, they they upped their game. They already had a decent um, e-commerce game, but they upped that. And, uh, and their margins are great. I mean, they, you know, they have premium-priced product, and they are able to keep that premium price. The stuff's really expensive, but it is clearly better. It's great. And then the, Goldman sees additional growth in men's, international, and footwear. I just kind of, I don't know how they got to the valuation of 447 Everything they say about Lulu, it's true. I just don't, you know, I, I maybe I'm just bitter because I sold it uh, lower than here, like 3:30 or so. But at some point, it sort of gets too expensive, no matter how good it is, um, and so it's sort of in that in that category for me. But I can't argue with any of the substance of that report.
1: Yeah, and the reality for apparel is that millions of Americans have reported a a, a weight gain, some of it, unfortunately, 30, 40 pounds, a lot of. New wardrobes are going to have to be purchased. All right, coming up, oil stock owners. They took a hit today as OPEC looks to hold strong. More concerned about barrels in the market sending oil and oil stocks down. But don't worry, we spotted something in the options market that could point to a big breakout for one name. We'll bring it to you when Fast Money returns. All right. Crude oil hit today. This after reports came out that OPEC may, and I want to emphasize may, I have not confirmed this, that OPEC may have reached a deal with the UAE to boost production after a nearly two week long stalemate. As oil fell, so did the oil stocks. Chevron, Evron, Evron, Chevron Exxon getting hit alongside Schlumberger. I'm kidding. And more. Guy, you've been big on Phillips 66 in the past. Oil stocks clearly Got a little ahead of their skis, right? I mean, overbought the RSI, MACD, whatever frame, probably a little bit outside that top. What do you make of a PSX here?
2: I still like it. I mean, I thought it was actually go rocketing through 100. I think it got to 94. It's obviously pulled back. I think the lever names work. Why they haven't worked, to your point, is because crude, and Dan Nathan pointed this out to me a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, traded right up to a 13-year downtrend line, which is pretty significant. It basically, as Carter would say, touch it to the penny. I happen to think we might get a bit more of a pullback here, but we're going to go ratcheting through to the upside. That's what makes markets. But I would buy the lever name, specifically PSX on this pullback. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I'm just on a buyer here. If I think about all
4: these other um, industrial commodities, we've seen considerable pullbacks from these kind of um, spring highs here. I suspect sooner or later crude's going to do that, too. That OPEC Plus um, announcement probably helps pave the way, and pretty soon we're going to be past the kind of peak driving season, and we know that markets start to anticipate that sort of stuff. So to me, I'm not buying uh, a breakout of a 13-year downtrend, and if you look at a, a, a three-year chart or four-year chart, we kind of just literally touched to the penny the 2008. 18 highs so the technicals just on crude don't look great and the stocks have already um, headed lower all right
1: good stuff dan thank you very much well there are bulls then there are bulls and then there's this guy one trader in the options market using today's pullback to make a million dollar bet and one big energy stock is about to rip higher tony zhang bringing in the options action i mean it's a bold bet tony
9: That's exactly right. This bet was on Marathon Petroleum, symbol MPC. MPC is not just having a bad day, it's really having a bad month, down almost 15% here since the highs on June 10th. But today, options traded very actively. 57,000 contracts were traded, which is more than three times the average daily volume that we see. And one particular bullish trade did stand out from the sea of red that we're starting to see across these energy stocks one particular trader bought thirteen thousand five hundred contracts of the october sixty five dollar calls for exactly one dollar which is about one point eight percent of the stock's value this particular trader is betting that marathon oil marathon petroleum will be above sixty six dollars By the October expiration, which is above the 52 week high, laying out, as you said, over $1.35 million to bet that this stock will be more than 19% higher by the October expiration date.
1: And I want to make sure people know that is MPC, not MRO, a big bet there. Tony, thanks. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is, of course, every Friday. I got to tell you again. 5.30 5:30 p.m. Eastern, which is like 2:45 in Boise, Idaho. Up next, your final trades. You know the time, time for your final trades. Let's kick it off with Tim Seymour. Tim.
3: Yeah, I'm buying cannabis stocks. Again, I'm, I'm along the sector view of my cannabis ETF, but I, this weakness is to be bought based upon capital coming into the sector as the guards come down. Karen.
5: Yeah, maybe it's in your honor, Brian. The OIH to me seems oversold here. I think there's a bounce in the near future. You could buy it right here with a tight stop at
4: $199. Tom Lee would agree, Dan. Yeah, I don't like Karen's banks, but I do like a neo bank. It's so fine. I liked it higher. I liked it here. I added to it. And guy. Met in life, Brian.
1: All right. Thank you all. Mad Money starts right now. See you tomorrow.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,